0: We probably together would remember the name Rodney King, whose beating was recorded on video and probably inspired a riot in L.A. several years ago. He, in his interview, looked at the cameras and asked that question that has become a plaintive cry for all of us Why can't we just get along? Why can't we just get along? The story of Eden asked that question. Here are two brothers, the first two brothers. First two brothers. One bashes the other's head and kills him. Why? Why can't we get along? Why can't we just get along? Look at history, and the question keeps crying out for us religious and secular history. Wars and worse yet, civil wars. Ethnic cleansing, crucifixions, inquisitions, rape, murder, violence of all kinds. The question comes back, why can't we get along? The short answer, of course, seems simplistic, whether it be a psychological or sociological answer, or in our case as a Christian community, a theological answer. The answer is that we can't get along because we are selfish and arrogant and lustful, filled with avarice and willfulness and stubbornness. In fact, the short answer, I guess, is that we can't get along because we are sinful people. And we allow often that sin to rule us, and in our relationships, it ruins the relationships. Now, it's bad enough when you look at human history and ask the question, why can't they get along? But when you look at the church, when you look at us, Christians, brothers and sisters, and ask the question, why can't we get along? It's even more telling and even more hurtful. Uh, We don't expect everybody to see eye to eye. That's the reason we have those off-brand denominations like Methodist and Presbyterians and all of those folks. I knew I'd get the Methodist in there somewhere. I mean, even among Baptists, the Baptist family, we, 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 we encourage diversity. We see it as a good sign in the Christian family that, that folks don't see everything eye to eye and exactly right because we feel like that enriches us. But when we see each other, when we see us batter each other, snarl, become angry, divisive, argumentative, then we ask the question, Why can't we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, get along? The answer, I guess, is still the same one because we allow avarice and lust and willfulness and stubbornness to get in the way and disrupt the relationship that we have with each other. Now, the question perhaps should not be, why can't we just get along? What do we do when we can't get along? Jesus gave us a formula here, at least a broad outline, as to how to deal with conflict within our fellowship, within the family or the family of God. It's not just here, but in other places he gives other poignant and key, key ingredients as to how to deal with each other when we're in conflict So I want us to look at that today. How can we as the family of God deal with some of those conflicts that come our way? What do we do when we find that we're at odds with each other? Biblically, what do we do? Well, the first thing I think, while not directly in this verse, but scattered throughout the sayings of Jesus, the first thing, and probably the primary thing, is to learn forgiveness. A lot of the division and discord in our families and in our relationships at large, and especially in our church, could be done away with. or would not even occur if we could learn to say to each other, I'm sorry, I've messed up, you're forgiven, you have sinned against me, you've done something to hurt me, and I'd like to let you know I forgive you. Not in a grandiose way, an arrogant way, but in a humble way to learn to forgive each other, turn the other cheek, to walk the other mile, forgive a 70 times 7, Jesus on the cross, looked down at those who had crucified him and said, forgive them, Father. Is it too little to ask of us to forgive each other? I suspect that in a congregation this size, there's somebody here who needs to say to someone else, I forgive you. The second thing that Jesus outlines for us here and in other places. Is that we are to ask ourselves if when a brother or sister has erred against us or wronged us. If in fact we might be complicit in that. The scripture says if a brother or sister wrongs you or sins against you. If is the key word here. Because a lot of the times when we think someone has done something against us, something that's hurt us, when we carefully examine that and analyze what has happened, we might have been a complicit partner in that. It's it's possible that maybe there's another side to the story. When I was director of uh, the association, one of my functions was to help churches in conflict. And boy, that was a, a lot of work to be done with 70 some churches there were always churches in conflict in fact what we did when they asked us they invited me in to come and help them with resolve conflict was we often ask a buddy to come in from another association because there's nothing worse than getting in the middle of a church fight if you've got to live with them for, for a long time. Just ask a police officer about domestic disputes and he'll tell you. Somehow you get triangulated and you walk out of the room as a bad guy. So we'd call a consultant in, a fri- friend who had conflict resolution training, and let him stand in the church and get pies thrown in his face or worse. But, but it was interesting, always was, when I went and helped churches with the conflict resolutions, is that I'd try to hear both sides. Sometimes in a separate room, you'd go and listen to the side, and then half hour later, you'd listen to the other side, and you'd hear completely two different stories. A lot of the times, the conflict that we feel like someone has brought into our presence has been created by us. And the easiest way to deal with that conflict is to, to blame the other person. They brought it to us. They wronged us. And if anyone dares look at you in the eye and say, are you sure that you didn't have some part in this? You would say, moi? Certainly not. Me? I thought, I said, what? You heard me say, hmm. So the next thing I would ask you to do is to take heed to the word if. Did a, if if a brother or sister, it's not sure here, but if someone did wrong you, then you've got some options. But you need to first consider the fact that you may have been as offensive as the other person was. And maybe you need to seek your own life and look at your own heart and discover whether or not there's something that you need to straighten out in your own relationship with that person. Now, the next thing Jesus says is that we are to... Uh, if we find out we've been wrong or feel like we've been wrong, we go to that person individually. The, the import here for me is that you take the initiative. Jesus over and over again reminds us we are to take the initiative. It is a constant requirement that he makes of us. That we're not to wait until the other person comes to us. We're not to stew in our juices. That's what my mama used to say. Stew in your juices. But you're to go to the person. And speak with the person. And deal with it on a one-to-one basis. And I know how difficult this is to do sometimes. But this is the requirement. I didn't say it was going to be easy, folks. Nor did Jesus. But the, if, if you feel like you've got something against your brother, go and talk to them. Or your sister, talk to her. Get it worked out. And I have a feeling. In a congregation this size, there's probably someone here. Who's been stewing in their juices. And there's someone that you need to go to and say. We need to work something out. Now the next thing that Jesus said. If you can't work it out. Then you take some friends. I guess in our contemporary society. The way we do things today. It might be that we uh, go to counseling. Or we take a group. the, The idea is that you enlarge it and you don't go with a baseball bat to hit the guy over the head or the lady over the head but you really go with a deep sense of resolution and you go with some friends who might say something about your involvement in this conflict that you don't want to hear. So you have to go with an open heart and an open ear To helping resolve the situation. After all, that's the goal. Not to prove your point. Not to hammer them over the head with what you think they did and what they ought to do. But how to resolve the issue. To broaden it somewhat. And I have a feeling that there might be someone here. Who needs to broaden it up a bit. Maybe talk to your pastor or a counselor about a conflict that's dealing with you. Go to a marriage counselor perhaps. But in some way, bring the two of you who are offended together with someone who can help you with that. Now, if all of that fails, Jesus says, well, let me stop a minute. I think there's probably somebody in the congregation this size who needs to go to somebody with an offended friend spouse or a friend or a neighbor or a church member and talk over the situation. No, that Jesus says. If that doesn't work, the thing you do is you separate yourself from them. It sounds rather harsh where he says you treat them as a pagan or as a tax collector. No, you separate yourself from them. Jesus said it another way on another occasion. He said, You shake the dust off of your feet. I like that. You just get out of it, you just give them some space. Don't get in their face. And I I think that some of the resolution of of conflict just needs to be to to get back, to step back. And to stay stepped back. Does that mean that you're never going to resolve the issue? Maybe not, but maybe so. There's some issues that can't be resolved. And I think when Jesus said, shake the dust off your feet, he recognized that there's some people you can't win. There's some people you can't convince. There's some people you can't forgive because they won't let you. There are some people who won't let you mend the fence. They keep tearing it down. So you need, in Jesus' word, to treat them as a tax collector. Now, I don't know how you t- treat a tax collector, but I stay as far away from them as I possibly can, and I don't call them. I don't call them, and I don't write them little love notes. I just sort of stay away from them as far as I can. I don't have to be ugly. I don't, I don't hate them. I just sort of step back. Some of you may think that's not a Christian response. I'm just saying that it seems to me that's what Jesus said on several occasions. That there were times when he himself needed to remove himself and not get in the conflict or make it any worse. Now, second part of this passage is the best part of this passage. Because it talks about the power and the wonder and the peace that comes while people get together. It is true that there's some discord in churches. I know that, and you know that too. But my friends, isn't it wonderful when God's people get together? When there are two or three gathered together in one one name. Now, they don't gather together and ask God for something, nor are they going to get it as a way of sort of bulldozing God, of sort of using a stick to get what they want. But you see the joy and wonder and power of two or three people getting together in God's name figuring out what he wants them to do and as a part of their will in the world, it is a wonderful experience to be a part of the kingdom of God. That's one of the things we experience on Sunday as we worship together and sing together and pray together and shake each other's hands and extend the, the kiss of peace is that we come to say to each other, you and I together are together. We are of one spirit. And the power that comes from that, it it is, again, while I helped churches that were in difficulty as the executive director of the association, I also went to churches that were celebrating and and filled with joy and power and wonder. A number of years ago, this is back in the old days when Baptist churches had semi-annual revivals. Oh, mercy sakes, we had them twice a year for a full week. So we invite our buddies to come, and I, one year I was invited by buddies to go and preach at their churches, and it, and it happened that there were revivals right side by side, two weeks of revivals. I went and preached at uh, this first church, and I figured, you know, I'm going to be at two churches, seven services, just get seven sermons and just shoot one church and then go shoot the other church, you know, just do the whole thing. There's no need in getting getting uh different sermons up so I went to the first church and I got the best sermons I had and I went out there and what a wonderful time we had that week. People were responsive, they were warm, they were energetic, we sang, we just it was just a love fest. It really was. People and I walked away thinking, Boy, I'm I'm next to Billy Graham. In fact, I might take his place. I'm so good, I'm the best preacher. These sermons are great. You know, I'm loaded for the next place. So I go to the next church. Same sermons, same kind of songs, same worship, same kind of church. And I mean, you, you're talking about a dud, a bum. Oh, dragging it out. Oh, please let me get out of here. Just let me preach a sermon and get out because these people are cold and they don't stay around after church and they don't have ice cream afterwards and they don't laugh at my jokes. And they are... And I learned that uh, the first week wasn't because Kirk was such a good preacher next to Billy Graham, but because those people were together. They had one spirit. They loved each other. They took care of each other. And in the second church I found during the week, there was great discord. People didn't like to preacher. Preachers didn't like much being there either. It was all, it was a sad sort of a place. What a joy it is to be a part of a church where people come together. They are one mind and one spirit and one baptism and one soul and one goal. There's a power in that. There is a power in that. Wonderful power. When people are together. And Jesus notes that. He says wherever two or three gather together in my name. I'm there. Where two or three people are together of the same mind as I am. There is power. So that the gates of hell can't prevail against it. If you ask for something it happens. If you bind something it's bound. If you lose something it's loosed. Because God's power is. Is in the presence of those people who are of like mind and piety and baptism, spirit and soul. Yeah, there's a lot of discord in the church and Christ has given us some formula to take care of that. And when we're together, oh, when we're together, there is a great power.